We'll open your scriptures this morning, and uh, you'll have to turn past First uh, Peter, uh, because we're finally done with that book. And today, we begin our study of Second Peter. And today, I want to open up our reading by looking at the first four verses of this uh, chapter. Uh, probably won't surprise you that we won't make it through those four verses, but I want to read them nonetheless and link them together for you. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Let's pray together as we get into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your word. We thank you that you're a God who has spoken. That is mercy enough. But in your love and care for us, you superintended the writing down of what you've said and then oversaw getting it to the point where we can actually have access to it. And now, Lord, we pray for the working of your Holy Spirit who illumines our hearts as we study what you've spoken out. Use this time to accomplish that end. Give us alertness of mind. Be saying those things in each of our lives that we need to hear. Well, thank you for that. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a new book. Second Peter. Uh, by uh, all... Biblical scholars, clearly written by Peter, uh, shortly before his death, not long really after the first uh, epistle of Peter was written. Uh, In the third chapter of this second Peter, he puts it this way in verse 1, he says, Now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and in both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. It's a second letter. Now, there have always been, in the breadth of scholarship, uh, people who do not approach the scriptures with the same set of assumptions, i.e., it's really God's word. And within that, within that lack of assumption, they look at the scriptures as a combination of what people write. And in looking at that, different of them have suggested different reasons why. Well, I don't think Peter really wrote this, or I don't. You know, those are things that you have to pay attention to. Sadly, if you're a pastor. The things you can ignore, all right? Uh, for those that take the scriptures as God's breathed word, uh, what he says he means, and uh, it's Peter who wrote this, and uh, I, I, I'm glad for you that you don't have to spend that convoluted time I've had to spend over the years trying to explain why these vantage points on things really aren't legit. <laughs> Let's just go forward with it. Peter wrote it, all right, under direction of the Holy Spirit, and we need to get into it. It's sort of an advanced organizer of sorts, and knowing I'm a professor, I like advanced organizers. As we're getting into the book, 
There's some things I want to say about the book before we begin to unfold that verse by verse. And here's one of the things that I want to say. That as you read through all of Second Peter, the concept of knowing God is a central thread through the whole tapestry of the book. Uh, it threads all the way through it. In fact, there's 13 times in the course of these three chapters where that terminology is employed. And that should remind us that one of the great intentions of God in the book itself is that we would know him. Sometimes the word know, it's used in 1 Peter, is a translation of the Greek word adon, which means factual knowledge, intellectual, uh, propositional knowledge. Sometimes it's a translation of forms of the word gnosis or epinosis, which refers to knowledge in the sense of experiential learning or knowledge in the sense of relationship, uh, where I know someone, I say I know somebody, and what I mean by that is I have a relationship with them. Now, I may be knowing facts about them, but it's not that so much. When I say I know someone, that's I'm talking about relational knowledge, deepening in, friend, in fellowship, deepening in, in awareness of them as people. Both words are used in First Peter. The difference is, I guess you could say, knowing about or knowing a fact and knowing in relationship. Uh, these are not conflicting terms. They're just different. And as you work through First Peter, it's important to know, are we talking with this particular verse where knowing is being used, are we talking about grasping facts? Or instead, are we talking about deepening in relationship? And great implications of both of those terms. And we'll see as we, as we move forward into it. Uh, John 17.3 puts it this way, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And by the way, in John 17, the word know there is a form of gnosis. Not facts about God. That's not eternal life. It's knowing in relationship to God. That's eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the Lord. You follow it? And so that word and the distinction between it even that helps you to understand. No one has eternal life because they know God's there. Demons know he's there and tremble. Uh, you have eternal life because you know he's there and you've done what was key to having relationship with the one. Or perhaps better to put it, he did what was necessary to make it possible for us to have relationship with him. A knowing relationship. The redeemed are intended to have a personal relationship with the God who is really there. What Peter helps us to come to understand, it's not just Peter, all of the scripture, but a special way Peter, how tragic it is when there's a redeemed person who's not deepening in relationship. And it's very possible for somebody to be a redeemed person and not deepening in relationship with the Lord. Throughout the book, beyond this main thread of knowing the Lord. Uh, there's four main sort of broad teaching things going on. One, the central importance of the Word of God. We're going to encounter it a number of points throughout this book. Uh, central to the life of a church, central to the life of the believer. We're also going to encounter an unmistakable message 
that it is God's intention that redeemed believers grow to maturity. He has no interest and no pleasure in the believer who is stagnating in spiritual complacency or carnality. God is very interested in what's going on in our lives. He wants us growing. So we're going to encounter that message, uncomfortable as it is, again and again as we work our way through the book. Another message that keeps repeating itself throughout Second Peter is this. False teaching is disastrous, dangerous to the individual, and dangerous to the church. It makes a difference what people say. It makes a difference what people teach. Uh, the church is never intended to be a unity with plurality, where people kind of believe whatever they want, but we're all in sort of a spiritual quest. That terminology comes from the enemy of our souls, not the scriptures. Now, there's some areas where diversity can be true because we don't have an exhaustive scripture. We have just everything God intended to say. <laughs> but when it says something, there's not a place for diversity about it. Uh, it just can't be. And then, of course, as we get in later in the book and certainly in the third chapter, we discover a proper perspective on the future. And God's plan of the ages is of central importance to the Lord and therefore should be of central importance to us. Well, that's as much of an advanced organizer as you're going to get. I slapped my hand several times. I was going to give you more than that, but I'm not going to. All right, that's going to get us set up. So now what I want to do, with the Lord's grace and over time as he so wills, I want to be unfolding, verse by verse, what God took the time to breathe out of eternity for us. And understand, if God breathes it out of eternity, he's got a reason for doing it. I mean, he... He has reasons behind what he has to say. So let's look at it. And we'll look at verse 1 to start. Simon Peter, a servant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Starts off with a fact. An oida, you know, adon, <laughs> kind of knowing. A factual thing. He says, listen, all the redeemed have a faith of equal standing. That's the way the ESV translates it. Isotomos, uh, meaning equal in the sense of honor or equal in the sense of privilege. The ESV, in translating it this way, have obtained a faith of equal standing, matches up to the New, New American Standard Version, which translates the same verse by the phrase, of the same kind. Both do a dramatically better job than the King James Version does, where it's translated like precious faith, and a much better job than the NIV does, which translates it faith as precious. Now, why? Because those translators of the other translations intended to mislead us? No, but word usage changes over time. Uh, in our contemporary era... If you say a phrase like a faith as precious or a like precious faith, our era tends to look at that word precious and see it as referring to a feeling, to an emotion, to an affection. Uh, it's not, it, isn't that, think for yourself, it, it, that terminology, while it doesn't only mean that, it tends to connotate that for people in our era. But understand Asatimas doesn't have that meaning. 
isotimos has the idea of equality. Equal. Equal standing is the issue here. Not equally affectionate or emotional. Now, let me quickly say, it's not that I have anything about having any problem with emotion. We sh- Jesus should be precious to us. The gospel should be precious to us. We ought to get all emotional about it. So it's not like that's a bad thing. In fact, in First Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, For the scripture, in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious. Now, we talked about that a long time ago when we were in that part of First Peter. But nonetheless, it's fine. That's important. God wants us to see the Lord Jesus is precious to us. But that's not what he's talking about here in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He's not saying anything about how precious Jesus is to us. He's talking about the quality of the faith. Equal standing. It is about equality, not emotion. Now, what's the point? The reason he starts out the book that way, I believe, is God is reminding us that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, think about sharing in the Lord's Supper today, and as Dwayne was talking to us about covered with the righteousness of Christ. All the redeemed are actually on exactly the same level, standing before a holy God. All of us are on exactly the same level. All of us are equal in standing. All of us stand before God if we are redeemed. (laughs) Big if there. Because it's not all of humanity stands there, but those who have turned to Christ all stand before Christ solely on the basis of the righteous life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what justification was about. That's a crediting of that righteous life to us. The same righteousness of Christ is the great equalizer among believers. That is the only reason any of us stand before him. No one from Adam and Eve onward could stand before the holy God on any other basis. Because all of us are sinners, of course. (laughs) And only the righteousness of Christ is the sufficient foundation. None of us earned right standing. All of us were offered right standing is a free gift of God in response to repentance and faith in the gospel. You know, think of the classic way it's put in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast about it. There's no one from Adam and Eve onward who could stand before God boasting, except in the cross, except in the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not something we did, Something we got is a response of repentance and faith. So, everybody starts out with the reminder, we all stand before God on the basis of our faith. In Christ, in the basis of his perfect life. Now, God's interested that we grow. Uh, We have accountability as redeemed believers for the stewardship of our lives. 
But when it comes to sin and eternal life, we've been delivered from accountability for that for exactly the same reason, all of us. Because we've been covered with the perfect righteousness of Christ, forgiven our sin because of what he did on the cross on our behalf. Well, there was the synopsis of our Lord's Supper sharing today. But it's a good reminder for us. Peter didn't put himself on some higher plane. He didn't say, now there's some of us who are, you know, much more precious to God and maybe at a much higher level in God's uh, caste system. And some of you are not up there, you're down here. Uh, Peter never said that, although sadly, over time, people distorted that put him at a level and then his, quote, successors at a level that saw them as somehow, you know, at a different level. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that Second Peter starts out and says, hey, wait a second, wait a second. We all have a faith of equal standing before the Lord. We're saved only because of Jesus. That's it. You know. Now, again, accountability as redeemed believers on how we use our lives, that's that's the judgment seat of Christ, the beam of Christ, which doesn't have to do with eternal life. It has to do with, with uh, accountability for stewardship. That's a different question. But when it comes, why am I saved? And how do I stay saved? Why do I have a future and a hope? Same reason. Everybody's got faith of equal standing. Pastor doesn't have a higher one than you. You don't have a higher one than him. Hey, it's all Jesus. That's what it is. And the work he did on our behalf. I like that. Well, he adds to that reminder to start the book out. And he says in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We discover in verse 2 that being redeemed because of what Jesus did and standing in his righteousness, uh, being redeemed... We now have the possibility of having a growing relationship with God. The growing knowledge of God. He says, this is all multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And in this case, I remember I started off talking about this knowing stuff. In this case, the Greek word is epignosis, which means relational experiential knowledge. Not just knowing about, but knowing intimately. A relational knowing. Because I've been redeemed, and I have that faith of equal standing in Christ, I now have a real relationship with God. With His Son. With the Holy Spirit. I have a real relationship. Epinosis. God says, remind yourself of that. We're not just talking stuff positional here. We're talking stuff experiential. Both are true. Because positionally, you have a faith of equal standing. Experientially, things can be different now for you. Potentially, anyway. And he says, listen, let's remind ourselves. To have a faith of equal standing doesn't mean we have an equal level of knowing him. It's through getting to know him, epinosis, 
that we begin to discover the multiplicity of grace and peace in our lives. Now, positionally, because we have a faith of equal standing, I can have grace and peace in my life in the sense that I have the grace expressed in the gospel, saved by that grace. I have peace, as Romans 5.1 puts it, with God, because I'm justified by my faith. So positionally, that's there, but he's not talking about that. He's talking now about experiential. And he says, there can be vast differences among believers in how experientially they have peace and grace. Because as we've talked about before, the word grace uh, can also mean in the scriptures, and in the context tells you, it it has to do with God's enablement. It could also have to do with salvation, saved by grace, but it also has it also is a way that God describes enablement. If I receive the grace of God as a redeemed believer, it means that I'm being enabled by God. His grace expressed through the enabling work of his Holy Spirit. You follow the enablement concept? And at the same time, peace. I can have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ, justified by faith in him, as Romans 5.1 puts it. <laughs> but I can be greatly lacking in any kind of experiential peace in my heart. And every single believer acknowledges the truth of that before God. I'm not always at the same place, Lord, in my enablement. And I'm not always at the same place in my peace. And God says, listen, I want you growing in those things. Then if you need grace and peace multiplied to you, there's no way to get it except growing in relationship with me. You follow? No, there's not going to be any service you go to that will zap you with peace and grace, at least any that lasts much beyond five miles down the road when you leave, you know. When all of a sudden you're frustrated with one of your kids or frustrated with your husband or whatever. But the point is, if you want lasting peace and grace enablement, God says, hey, you got to know me. You've got to deepen in fellowship with me. We have to grow. Uh, there's no shortcut. You grow. If you're not growing, it shouldn't surprise you that you don't feel much enablement and you don't feel much peace inside. If you're growing, you're going to find both of those things. And he's also underscoring by this opening verse, opening second verse, that a relationship needs to be nurtured. It needs developed. People say, well, I, I, I know Christ. Well, if they're talking Adon, factual knowledge, if they know the gospel, or they've had some education, maybe they know Christ. And even if it's salvation, they could say, well, I, I repented and believed, they maybe can point to a day, maybe, maybe a situation. And so they can mean, Adon, I, I know him. I know salvation. But to know epinosis, that is a process. And if you're not growing in it, you're not having those other things. And if you're not being nurtured, if the relationship's not being nurtured, it's only empty religious words. And one of the great confusions to the unbeliever 
is mass use of empty religious words by believers. Because they, they, they sort of sense uh, that things aren't quite matching up to the words that are used at times by people. And uh, God says, listen, it's only empty religious. If you're not growing, if you say you're knowing me, you certainly don't mean epinosis. You, you may mean adon, but you don't mean epinosis. Think of it in human relationships. You don't really get to know your spouse if you're not knowing them. You know, <laughs> spending time deepening in relationship. If you say, well, I know, that, I know them, but you have no relationship, it's empty. You follow? And human relationships are that way. Should it surprise us that relationship with God is like that? I mean, if you're not growing, if you're not deepening, it's empty. It's, it's a shell. It's a... It, it doesn't match up to reality. And it's possible to be redeemed positionally right and have very little knowing going on in your life. I was thinking Paul captured that under direction of the Holy Spirit in Philippians chapter 3. Let me read you these words. In verse 8 he starts and he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Okay, to that point, Paul's talking about positional knowing. <laughs> He's known Christ, now he has positional benefit from that. The new covenant benefit. You follow? But then he goes on and he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. And if you don't think this way, you're not mature. Whatever you think you are, you're not mature. He wants to know him. And the word shifts here to gnosis. He says, I've got right standing. Praise God. I want to know him. I want to build on the right standing. And I'm going to press on toward it. My whole life's going to be given over now to moving forward. Not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to stumble, but I'm going to forget what lies behind. Press on toward this coal. I want to grow. Being redeemed, we now have the possibility of growing to know Him. Got to be careful with people sometimes when we use the word no to make it clear. Am I talking to somebody about how to find Christ as Savior? Or am I talking to somebody about how to develop relationship? Because they're two different things. You can't have the second without the first. But you can very much have the first without the second. You can very much have positional without experiential. And what exceeding tragedy that becomes for the believer. And God says, listen, I want to multiply in your life grace and peace. 
I can't multiply it in terms of salvation because everything that there is with it is there. That's what justification's all about. But there can be vast differences in grace and mercy in your experience walk in this life. He says, I just want to multiply the grace enablement, and I want to multiply the inner peace. I want to multiply that in your life. But to get there, you've got to get committed to getting to know me, deepen in relationship with me, find what the scripture means by deepening in relationship, and then do those things. Uh, be around others who are trying to do that, and we'll challenge each other to keep doing that. So this is where we start. This is where we start. Is that your goal? My goal is not to be part of the statistic that says I know him positionally, but he's remote and I don't know him experientially very much at all. I don't want to be in the statistic that says I'm redeemed, praise the Lord, positionally. And I want to get to know the one who's redeemed me because he's actually saved me so that I can spend eternity with him. You know, it, I don't want him to be a stranger when I finally see him. So much more to know about him than I can ever know here. But isn't it tragic if I don't get to know what I can know about him here? And he starts out Peter that way, Second Peter, and he says, I want you to get to know him. <laughs> I want you to be in something where, it's, where my strength through your life, grace, and, and my peace that I just want to flood your heart with, that it can just multiply out. I'm not even going to double it. I'm going to multiply it. You know, I want to multiply it in your life. But you have a responsibility because I can't build the relationship with you. I respond to you choosing to build the relationship with me. I took the initiative with your salvation. You must take the initiative with relationship. Well... Having said that, then he moves on, and I'm not going to look into it, but I'll read the verse. He says, His divine power has granted us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God says, you got to take initiative. You're supposed to be growing this way. I want to multiply that grace and peace for you. And guess what? I've given you everything you need to have that happen. I'm not selectively just letting some people have it. I've given you everything that you need. All things. The Greek word panta, which means complete, without exception. People say, well, I, I don't know. I think I need something beyond what God said. You're wrong. You're wrong. He's given you everything you need. Everything. Then if you look at what he's given you and you say, well, I'd kind of like something different. He isn't going to give it to you. It's like, well, I don't like that. What else? You have it in blue. You know, It's not going to work, all right? Uh, he's given you what you need. I'd like to talk more about that today, but I can't. Time's up. But uh, we'll get into that and pick up at that point. Uh, at least I said something about verse 3, so don't forget that, all right? Let's have, a, let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in fact, are a God who breathes out the truth. You care enough about us to speak, to have us a place where we can turn to truth. 
and you care enough to let your Holy Spirit illumine our hearts as we think about what you've said. Would you plant these things that we've been studying in this very beginning of Second Peter deeply within each one of us? Thank you for saying them. Now be involved in the transforming of our lives as a result of what you've said. And we'll thank you as you do that, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.